passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We want a dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Well, hello, and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite on Wednesday night, September the 28th. John Pollock here along with Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. Hey, John. What's going on? It is uh, it is another evening for us to discuss uh, what is going on uh, everywhere. And actually, off the top, I would like to give uh, uh, all of our well wishes to any listeners that might be affected by Hurricane Ian, uh, whether you're in Florida or any other surrounding parts affected by the hurricane. Obviously, that is uh, massive news, and we are, we are thinking of everyone that uh, might be affected. And mm-hmm. you know, re- reportedly, even some that were... Uh, not going to be able to make it to uh, Philadelphia tonight. And Tony Khan even noting that they were, you know, allowing those to stay home if they were affected uh, this week. But no names that we are aware of that necessarily were not traveling. And all the all the people affected on the East Coast as well in Canada. Yes, absolutely. So um want to make mention of that off the top. And we will be getting into uh, tonight's Dynamite. We also have some news to discuss. Um, off the top, though, I just want to make note of a change that we have made to the post-wrestling cafe. Do you want to inform people way of this this change that has been, uh, I think, a long time coming and is going to make it a lot easier for those that uh, maybe want to jump on board? And it also makes it easier for us to... Uh, alert people of what time of the month that they can sign up and you don't have to game the system and figure out with a calendar when the best time is to sign up for the post wrestling cafe. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, those of you guys like listening to us, you probably often hear us say, Hey, now's the best time to sign up for the post wrestling cafe. It's the start of the month. You get your best value. Well, I mean, we don't have to do that anymore because whenever you sign up right now on Patreon, they have instituted a new billing model that allows the uh, recurring date for when you're charged to be on the same day that you sign up. So, for instance, you can sign up at the end of the month, like right now on September the 28th, you will get your full month's worth from the 28th forward. So you won't be charged again until October 28th. So there's no real need to wait until the first anymore. You can really sign up at any time, which helps us because we provide like, you know, content on like a a weekly basis or at least like, a you know, every other day, basically. So um, it's it, it makes it less awkward for us to have to promote, hey, sign up right now um, and makes it less awkward for everybody if they're looking to sign up towards the end of the month. 
Yeah, for, for those that, that might be considering jumping on board, we just did a Ask Away show. We have a minimum of three bonus shows out each week. Uh, so this week, over 90 minutes answering your questions. Thursday, we'll have MCU later. And then Friday, Rewind to SmackDown. So you can get all of those shows uh, with a, an immediate sign-up. And we'll have plenty of, uh, of other shows coming up in October, uh, including Bound for Glory coverage, uh, New Japan's Declaration of Power, and all the other regular staples of the post-wrestling cafe. So we will uh, we will bang you over the head with that uh, repeatedly. But I uh, want to make note of that change so you don't have to be timing things out if you want to jump on board if you enjoy the extra content great maybe maybe you are sick of us and will only want to stick on board for for a month but uh check it out we put a lot of work into the post wrestling cafe look at that look at those beautiful faces it's also all available on youtube as well of course for those of you who prefer video at video.postwrestling.com uh it is uh yeah you can join uh join at the link right there you have to sign up to your youtube account but you get all the bonus shows the same way just in video form Yes. $6 US a month it gets you in the door and that gives you access to all of the, the bonus shows. And then there are higher tiers you can go and all of that information is available there. $8 on YouTube, just to clarify. Yes. All right. Let's uh, chat a bit, a bit about some, some news that is going on. We're going to start off with, uh, with Malachi Black, who uh, responded the other day on Instagram Live to uh, basically... Uh, discussing his status uh with, with AEW because it has been um v- very muddied I would say ever since all out and where he gave uh what what appeared to be a uh, a goodbye to the live crowd and then later on that evening uh it was Will Washington from the uh, Grap City podcast who asked Tony Khan during the press conference about what is the status of Malachi Black what did that mean Tony Khan could not comment on it and uh since that time uh, Malachi Black did put out a statement not all that long ago stating that he did ask for his release. Now, later in that same statement, he referred to his release in quotation marks. So, yes, this this has led to people questioning what his status was with AEW. And, you know, obviously, you know, he has also divulged. He is going through a lot of personal issues, and I think we all want to respect those issues that he is going through. Um, but... You know, he was he was very upset about what has been reported about him. He called into question um, the length of his contract that is out there, uh, stating it's not five years. Well, that term, the only reason that length is known is because Tony Khan divulged that when he was on Busted Open Radio back over the summer, stating that Black has nearly five years left on his deal. So that is, that strictly comes from Tony Khan's lips of the length of the deal. Um, but he is, he is not done with AEW. He states he's going to be gone, uh, maybe for weeks, maybe for months, uh, but he's going to be back. There is no controversy. Now it has been noted and by himself, he had asked for his release. He stated that. So, Hmm. um, you know, this has brought about, I think a, a lot of tension of, you know, talent with how they, they are covered. And I think it is worth like, Having a discussion on like th- there is overall, I think like a lack of transparency, and obviously I'm coming it from from one angle of it from the the media side, and talent is not required to disclose anything they want, but but I do feel like there is some middle ground where there can be, you know, the status of a performer can be commented on by a company where basic facts should be transparent. I don't think it has to be Fort Knox when it comes to every last detail. And there's 
there, there's nothing. And you have, you know, I, I will see a lot of people that will always, um, complain about reports where it is sources that are unnamed. Folks, that's, that's not on the media side. There is no one in a reporter side that is clamoring for, to, to speak off the record or to speak on background that is on the performers. This is an industry where it is so considered a a taboo to speak to the media that I just feel overall, like we're, we're so behind in forms of other industries. And yes, you are going to have people that are not going to be able to speak on the record. They are topics. There may be very important news to come out that someone does not want to attach their name to. But at the same time, like I think some of these companies could do a, a bit better job when it comes to just answering basic questions. Um, so it's not just this this eternal friction back and forth. Um, but that also comes with with the territory. There is going to be uh, dissension between um, talent that are covered and and are not going to want aspects of their professional careers covered. But this sort of was a large group of thoughts that I had uh, coming out of this video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to you know be a part of a larger sort of discourse right now going on between um, maybe um, you know a lot of con- contentiousness between the media and professional wrestlers and uh, people speaking to the media that are per- that may be professional wrestlers internally, uh, specifically as it relates seemingly like you know with AEW's uh, roster. Um, I can understand, you know, uh, maybe the frustration if you're a wrestler and if you're sensing that people are talking about something that might not be true. I, however, like in this particular instance, like I, like you laid out the facts, John, you know, there, there's information out there that has been divulged by Tony Khan or by Malachi Black himself that I, you know, we, we believe to be factual at the time. So, I I definitely respect like somebody not wanting um maybe you know us to, like speculating about his mental health for instance like all that stuff I I I I understand like that's probably not great to hear you know if you're uh, somebody in No but 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 again Wade like I think I think we have to be very careful when we just say like the media like what does that entail I think like mm-hmm. there are reporters out there you respect there's reporters maybe you don't respect out there. That's every fan consumer's prerogative. But when you're is is his mental health being discussed by these reporters that you follow? Because I'm sure not hearing that. Is this from fans online and we're just conflating social media with, with media? I mean, that's yeah. um, you know, it's that, no it, obviously it's, it's not ideal. And and uh, like mental health is going to be off limits. Like I'm not going into that that territory at all but there are going to be aspects of your like contract status and such like you might not want that out there but you are that stuff is going to get reported on yeah it's fair game and especially in in an industry like professional wrestling uh where you know like historically you you have to kind of sift through so much of what's out there to find the truth speculating is part of unfortunately the game when you don't have you know clear upfront messaging from these sources themselves um but you know it's i could see the frustration but like a lot of it unfortunately is just kind of part of like the nature of like 
this sort of business. All that said, like, you know, part of his messages or, or in this stream was, was addressing people who were sending him death threats. Yeah. And that's, and that's that completely bullshit. Unacceptable. Absolutely. Yeah. And that aspect is like, I understand having such a negative reaction and you sort of just lump in everyone together when it's, it's that extent that you are receiving death threats, which is just, I mean, I, I don't even know how you could possibly, um, address that in any meaningful way when that's the response that you are getting from some people. And that that's going to, you know, it's some people can just scoff at like such a, an extreme reaction to that. That's um, when you're going through something and that's something you wake up and get in your inbox or uh, tweet it at you. That's alarming. And it calls more to, I think, you know, the unhealthy, oftentimes tribalism that exists right now with, you know, rivaling rival companies. Um, and that's a rivalry that the promoters themselves are willing to buy into and have really fanned the flames up in order to get extra attention. So I, 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 I you know, there's no excuse for that sort of online behavior. And anybody who is engaging in, in something like that, we should all as a community shut, shut that down immediately. Um, I, I just, it's, it, it I, at the same time, I'm not really surprised to see like people that, you know, are so quick to defend every single Thursday, these sort of ratings wars, um, you know, getting to that point where they're, they might be sending death threats to a wrestler for wanting to quit, for instance. It's ridiculous, but man, it's like, it's, you know, um, I think in every fandom, you, you have like, you know, this unfortunate, really kind of dark side to it. Um, but you know it's 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 part part of a larger discussion that I see out there right now. And like you said, John, I think it's sort of in human nature for like if you're Malachi Black to lump the media as one group, just as like it might be, you know, for us to you know p- p- sometimes lump listeners into one group if if like we get negative uh, you know feedback of uh, sometimes from somebody when that might represent a small part. Um, I I I I I I don't. I want this guy to just, you know, be healthy and happy in, in whatever he's doing. Um, but at the same time, you know, reporters kind of have a job to do. And, and part of like discussing a man's contract is nothing at all to like something I think he should get personally offended by. And, and again, just going back to his own words, like he is stating, I was just taking time off and it's no conspiracy. I mean, in your own statement, you said you asked for your release. Those were your words. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you have to essentially like you are almost contradicting your, your, yourself at that point. So, um, I, I believe in it, you know, th- this comes off, off the heels of a Dave Meltzer reporting that, uh, apparently Tony Khan has just made an edict. There are not going to be any releases, uh, when it comes to obviously Malachi Black for Buddy Matthews it is, is not going to be a case where anyone's going to be let out of their contracts early. So I, I'm sure that is a factor in all of this as well. And I think number one is the priority you stated is Malachi Black getting into a good space, um, both mentally and physically. I mean, he has talked about an ailing back injury that he has been dealing with as well. So I think that is his number one priority is his health. And then hopefully, you know, they, they revisit and they can have an amicable relationship, uh, from, from there. Mm-hmm. Next up, um, this is this is that wild story from a few weeks ago from the Hollywood Reporter about the potential, and I, I put that in in capital letters, potential um, merger down the road of Warner Brothers Discovery and NBC Universal. Well, um, 
this was reported a couple of weeks ago that the earliest they could even begin negotiations would not be until April of 2024, but enough, um, you know, significant people have been discussing this as, as a potential outcome, which would be a, a gigantic merger of uh, media giants. Uh, well, David Zaslov, who is a name that continually uh, comes up in, uh, in, Shows like ours, uh, the chairman and CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery. This was through Variety today. Um, held uh, a company-wide town hall meeting uh, that was beamed out via Zoom. I hope that I imagine imagine having buffering issues if you're like uh, Warner Brothers Discovery on a town hall Zoom call. I mean that would that would not be a good sign, right? Um, to his forty thousand employees, that would be a daunting Zoom call. Imagine say forty thousand like windows up. That that would be a, a big upgrade of plan. I feel that I feel I feel like that's beyond the Zoom limit for most. God, imagine, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and he, he essentially told the employees in this seventy-five minute session, "We are not for sale. We have everything we need to be successful." Zaslov noted that TNT, TBS, CNN, Discovery, Food Network, HGTV, TLC, and other linear channels under the Warner Brothers Discovery roof reach some thirty million U.S. TV households every day. He noted that linear marketing and promotional muscle across internal platforms were crucial to the recent successful launches of Elvis, Don't Worry, Darling, and HBO's much-anticipated House of the Dragon. Moreover, Warner Brothers TV has. Re- Okay, they're doing great. That's that's what uh, they're trying to summarize here. But um, I mean, again, this is this story was at the earliest they could negotiate is two years from now. And I'm always going to default whenever there are talks of these major, you know, company altering uh, deals. I, I go back to the playbook of Zufa back when there was early reporting of a potential sale and they they swore up and down to their employees that they were not for sale and boom, they woke up one day and they were sold. So I don't know if you can uh, always take these things as as concrete or not at at the very earliest is th- this is years away, but certainly would have a seismic shift in the television industry. But also, this is a story that I mean, there's just so much speculation attached to it. But at least there is a public comment by the head of Warner Brothers Discovery denying this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you said, John, like, I-, I don't know if you could ever trust anything from a corporate head of a you know publicly traded company, every sort of single piece of messaging to the media is in some way, uh, you know, done to reflect um, whatever, you know, stock um, activity. And and company morale, like that, I'm sure Warner Brothers Discovery has gone through some tumultuous periods over the last year with this merger and all of the financial cutbacks. The last thing you want is this lingering story that, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's probably best to address it and give people uh, a peace of mind, whether this brings that peace of mind or not i mean that's that's to be determined yeah but it's an unfortunate position i i do have some empathy for you know as aslav because well, he could be telling the truth really they could not be, be can you imagine all these batgirl fans that are just spamming his uh his inbox want to see this movie oh goodness yeah um apparently there's like some leaked footage out there but anyway uh regardless um have you seen I, elvis i have not no good it's awesome I, I watched it over the weekend it's really good okay I'm not even a big Elvis fan, but this movie, I I found it captivating. It it sounds fun. I I will put that on the list. But, um, you know, obviously from a wrestling perspective, we we look towards whether or not, um, you know, there's an AEW-WWE connection to it all. And like you said, John, maybe it's still a bit early to, you know, even entertain that, even if he didn't put this statement out. Yeah, I I think it's worth at least, you know, addressing this because, I mean – Mm-hmm. This could be something. This, if if something like this went through, it's it's an unbelievably massive story, and oh, yeah. it goes well, well, well beyond pro wrestling. 
Shawn Michaels was doing some uh, media for the uh, the Royal Rumble. I guess the pre-sale began today. The the on sale is this week for the Alamo Dome in January. So he was interviewed by my San Antonio. And he talked a little bit about uh, sort of the state of NXT and their recruitment process. Uh, he told the, the outlet, we are still reaching out to other people with experience that have wrestled on the independent scene or been out in Japan or in other companies. That is something NXT will continue to do in the future. Nothing is off the table. We simply want to continue to find people that are just as passionate about the WWE product as we are. And he went on to describe uh, his role with the company and uh, relationship with, with Paul Levesque. He said that Hunter trusts me quite a bit. And I have sort of a great deal of freedom to do what I think is best, the best thing for NXT and our talent. I can't speak ill of Vince or any of the other people. They've all been good to me over the years. Um, goes on to say, I don't find myself having to ask him, referring to Hunter, a lot of questions or if that is okay to do or what do you think of this? He's given me a great deal of freedom, which I appreciate. The good thing is we're best friends and we're going to talk all the time, but nine times out of 10, we're on the same page. And he clarified that he has been a vice president uh, for about uh, a year to a year and a half. And it was just recently he was promoted to senior vice president and his roles will be leading both NXT and whatever NXT Europe is going to be. So Shawn Michaels is in a pretty um, significant position at the developmental level now, pretty much overseeing the your, your two NXT brands that exist and I guess will be the point person for NXT Europe as well. So a little clarity there from Shawn Michaels, but also noting the fact that they, it, it sounds like their recruitment process, it, it will have more of kind of a, a broader vision than we've seen over the last year where it's largely been contained to um, these uh, camps that they've run and the, the NIL program that independent talent is something that they are, are going to be seeking out. Mm-hmm. The sense I got from some of these words is that maybe, you know, with the, the past version of NXT or the PC that we've seen is maybe still being somewhat retained, but slowly shifting more towards maybe the older model uh, for black and gold, which almost seemed to exclusively like hire um, independent wrestling talent. It just seems like we're getting maybe, you know, trying to find a middle ground between the two two philosophies. It also tells me exactly like maybe how involved Sean is with the whole system right now. NXT right now really does seem to be his baby. And um, it's, you know, obviously a synergy with Triple H, uh, his best friend, as he says, you know, working up top in the main roster that you probably, it's probably an even better ideal for what they set out for with the idea of 2.0. And that is, you know, a direct translation from NXT towards the main roster. Like the Vince, the Sean Vince relationship, as Sean seems to describe it in this quote, seemed to be a bit more difficult than obviously now, you know, with him and Hunter being a lot more aligned in terms of philosophy and vision. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you see that, you know, line in there that nine times out of 10, we see things the same way. I think actually it's, it's very healthy when you don't agree on everything that you do have slight changes. You don't want to be so diametrically opposed that it's, you know, a square peg in a round hole. But I, I agree with you. I think that these two, I think they largely have very similar views and you have, again, establishing this pipeline of NXT to the main rosters that is a fluid one and and seeing talent develop that are going to make that hopefully seamless transition up into the main roster. But the last thing Paul Levesque needs is NXT on his plate weekly. Like he should be delegating NXT to someone that you can have that trust in. And certainly it seems like Shawn Michaels is that person that he has uh, tasked with that. 
Raw ratings from Monday, they did 1,674,000 viewers and a .45 in the demo. So this week, they finished sixth on cable uh, behind the New York Giants and Dallas Cowboys game. Did you catch up on the uh, the football game on Tuesday morning? Did you go back and, and watch? Uh, you know, I think I might catch that up, uh, uh, catch up on that after Elvis. Oh, that okay. On the list too. Well, there you have it. Well, uh, this game aired on ABC, ESPN, and then the Manning cast was also uh, running the simulcast on ESPN2, uh, which featured Pat McAfee uh, as one of the guests. And across those platforms, 19.3 million viewers watching this football game. So a big, big game. Uh, but Raw was up slightly this week. Uh, they beat Grand Slam last week in all of the demos, uh, but were very close in 18 to 34. Uh, 201,000 for Raw, 200,000 for Dynamite last Wednesday. So the audience dropped 11% throughout the show. Uh, 50 plus was the only sizable drop in hour three, falling uh, 17%. Uh, in Canada, uh, Canada is not only did they have the football game going on, but the Jays are red hot right now. They did over 1.3 million viewers. It's not just the Jays that are in this, uh, this, uh, you know, playoff race. Uh, you had Aaron Judge, uh, of the Yankees playing the Jays. So he, I think he just hit home run number 61 tonight, way. Is that supposed to be good? <laughs> He's tying Roger Maris's uh, record. It's oh, it, it's it's fascinating wow. to watch this. Like everyone is glued to Aaron Judge surpassing like Roger Maris. It's like Barry Bonds doesn't exist. It's like Mark McGuire doesn't exist. Hold Sam, on a second. Sam, so what was the old record? What was the old like what, what was what was the what was the Barry Bonds record? Bonds hit like seventy. So, so they're negating that now. Like, like that's been wiped. It's from it's the still books. the record, but everyone's treating this like sixty one is like this big number that he's running. Oh, like, the, yeah, this, clean, this would have been a big record, record thirty years ago, but it was like this. This record's been beaten. But is it because it's the clean record now? Is that is that what we're going by? Um, I mean, it's yeah, it's the cleanest. Have we tested uh, Roger Maris? We checked his <laughs> blood samples. Maybe I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what uh, if there was if there was any kind of blood doping in 1961 or or any uh, kind of chemical enhancement for one Roger Maris. But uh, you should also watch 61. That's another great movie. <laughs> I got a pretty. I'm, I'm giving list. you a list because I know of all the yeah. free time that you have. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Jays and Yankees did a monster number on Monday, so uh, Raw w- was down 17 percent of viewers, but up six percent in the demo up here on Sportsnet 360. So that was the Raw number. Uh, NXT did 660 thousand viewers, a point one six in the demo. So th- this was odd. It was like their lowest audience since mid August, but their highest demo since early August. So just. Uh, very different uh, trends here for viewership and the demo. And again, for a taped show, this was one of their largest demos in like well over a month. So uh, they, w- once again, these taped episodes, it, it absolutely does not matter. And sometimes these are the most random of fluctuations that uh, they receive. So anyway, um, a, a recovery in 18 to 34 as well for NXT. And I have to say it was not the most uh, compelling NXT episode unless you were uh, at the edge of your seat for the pub brawl between Gallus and Briggs and Jensen, which I know way you wanted to talk a lot about, but we have a lot to get to. So we're not gonna have time to break down the pub brawl. Battle of the belts Four. are you excited for this next Friday night? It will be another four hour night of pro wrestling with two hours of SmackDown rampage. And then battle of the belts is going to air at 11 PM Eastern. Uh, this is the, 
they're doing two nights in Washington, D.C. next week. They'll do Dynamite on Wednesday, and then Friday they're doing the Rampage Battle of the Belts combo. So uh, we can get ahead of ourselves because you will be covering these four hours because I was planning that night. I will be doing Bound for Glory uh, and doing a cafe show afterwards covering Bound for Glory. So between us, we will be covering over seven hours of professional wrestling that night. Well, who needs a weekend? Um, because we got Extreme Rules that weekend too, don't we? <laughs> it's Extreme Rules the next night, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it'll be me and Kate doing a four-hour duty for that particular week while John uh, covers Impact Wrestling, which will probably be, what, a three-and-a-half-at-least-hour show? If you include the pre-show, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, lots of wrestling and uh, never never enough podcasting to, to go around as well. And the last note here is just a, an MMA note and more so a business one, and that is the PFL is going to do their first-ever pay-per-view on November 25th, the day after U.S. Thanksgiving from the Hulu Theater in New York. So this is going to air on ESPN Plus pay-per-view. Uh, I've not found out yet um, how this is going to uh, affect international broadcasts. Of course, PFL airs on TSN up here in Canada. I don't know if it will be a traditional pay-per-view up here. Um I just don't see this card doing any kind of business on pay-per-view. They have Kayla Harrison, which is, a you know, their notable star fighting uh, Larissa Pacheco, who she has beaten twice already. And this is all the finals of their their tournaments. So you've got like an eight fight main card, which starts at eight o'clock Eastern. So all of the finals, there's like six tournament finals. They're all five round fights. That if they go the distance, I mean, geez, you'll you'll be there until the next year's Thanksgiving. So um, I don't know. This this is an experiment by the PFL. They've obviously they 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 spend a ton of money and they're looking to recoup. But I just I, I can't imagine this doing any kind of business. But we will see how much power ESPN has, like the muscle they put behind this promotionally um, to to promote it. But that's happening November twenty fifth uh, with uh, Brendan Lochnane against Bubba Jenkins. Shane Burgos is fighting Marlon Marais. That's a non tournament fight uh, that will be Burgos's PFL debut tonight. Postwrestling.com. Postwrestling.com. All your news. It's yeah. it's up there, up to date. Andrew Thompson grinding it out on a daily basis. Uh, you can find all the news there. Shot in the dark with John Ceno. What better way to keep up with pro wrestling in 2022 than a 15-minute recap of everything with uh, John Ceno. Uh, Dan Masters passing away. We have a story on that. Dying in a, a tragic car accident as well. So all of that news is up at postwrestling.com. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Way, are you ready for Dynamite? I'm ready. Let's do it. Well, we are at the Leah Cora Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania with Excalibur, Tony Schiavone, and Taz. I think this many weeks in, it looks like it's a permanent move now with Jim Ross stationed mm-hmm. on Rampage. I don't think yeah. we're getting the mixing and matching anymore. <laughs> yeah, it, it was kind of strange because it felt like that was... It, it, I don't know if that was like the the, the certain couple week you know thing was a trial, 
Um, obviously, we can continue to speculate about like you know whether Jim Ross's public criticism of of the company had anything to do with it. Um, I don't expect we'll ever get a real answer about it. Um, but I'm also not seeing many audiences complain about the change. You know, Taz has been clearly been the more effective you know color commentator. The Jericho Appreciation Society starts off with their championship celebration, and the whole group is out in these purple suits, including. Emo Daniel Garcia in the back, who just is like being brought by dad to like the family reunion in costume. And there in the ring is the returning Luigi Primo as he as there are pizzas set up for the celebration. And he's just spinning the dough uh, throughout this this segment. Parker insults Philadelphia. Menard called the pizza guy and Luigi Primo says he made the best pizza from New York City. And then Menard says, no pizza for you. And the crowd chants, we want pizza. Anna Jay did her screaming promo and called Jericho the greatest ROH champion of all time. And Jericho says he's the most honorable man in AEW, the most viewed ROH champion ever because no one knows about Ring of Honor. Which brought me back to uh, when Christopher Daniels held the uh, ROH television title and Ring of Honor had just... They were in between television deals of some sort. So he called himself the television champion because I he was still working with Impact at the time. He's like, I'm the only guy now that's on television. And thus he was, anyway, television okay. champion. Yeah, I'm sure this is the, the tie-in you were, you were seeking here from it, 2011. It, yeah, uh, sure. He then says that this is the era of the Ring of Jericho and explains why Bandito is getting this match tonight. He never got a rematch after losing the title and put him over as one of the best wrestlers in the world. But sports entertainers always beat wrestlers and refers to sports entertainer Daniel Garcia. And Jericho got him a gift. The crowd is chanting, you're a wrestler. And he got Daniel Garcia a purple bucket hat. And Daniel Garcia just looks just deflated at this goddamn hat that he has been handed so he takes the hat off throws it down and then garcia decks luigi primo who died on the spot he never regained consciousness throughout this segment he says this isn't him he's had enough and i've got something to tell you and jericho cuts him off telling him to think first because with us you could be bigger than ever but if you take but if you go against us i'll take you out are you a sports entertainer or are you a pro wrestler and out comes big brother, Brian Danielson, and he respects Garcia and says, you can do whatever you want. You can stay with the Jericho Appreciation Society. You can come join us. You can train with us. You can train with them. And Jericho tells him to shut up. He's sick of Danielson trying to poach his talent. There's no, going to be no poaching in AEW, okay? No poaching. And Jericho says that Garcia does what he says. So Garcia cuts him off. I don't belong to you, and I'm not going to do anything you tell me. And he asks, what would be entertaining? Me spinning pizza dough with Luigi, teaming up with Justin Roberts, or maybe it would be entertaining if I teamed with Danielson against you and Sammy Guevara. And the crowd gets really excited about this, but Menard cuts in, threatens to deck Danielson, and Danielson has been given the power to make a match, so he challenges Menard, and they have a match, an impromptu one, uh, a rare impromptu match on Dynamite, and that was our, our first segment. I thought it was a really fun opening segment. You know, this is our first instance of getting to see Chris Jericho as the face of Ring of Honor. And 
I really liked it. Um, you know, as much as I, I don't know how how many, much like people hold on to the sanctity of ROH as I don't know a pure professional wrestling thing, but that's kind of what makes all of this brilliant. It's the irony of a sports entertainer holding, you know, the professional wrestlers world championship. As much as I wanted Claudio to be like the face of this company, I mean, it's charisma, it's personality, it's star power, and it's a voice that you know, this brand needs right now. Um, it's, it, you know, Ring of Honor has kind of been in the AEW stratosphere for quite some time, but we can honestly say it, that championship, I mean, it, it doesn't even feel, you know, secondary. Like it, it feels like it's, it's sometimes beneath the TNT championship. So you need the star power of a Chris Jericho in order to bring this brand to the forefront. Jericho as somebody who's already a principal character with a lot of mic time in AEW. He's essentially like helping provide a weekly commercial for ROH every single week. He's making him the title, a focal point of the story. I love calling it ring of Jericho. It's so simple and so brilliant. Why, why I, I, I did, I, we didn't think of it before. Um, and you know, the, the, the storyline that you called last night, John, uh, or on Monday of him working through the ROH champions, I think is that absolutely brilliant. Garcia is playing the role really well too. You know, it, I think it's, he's almost so anti Jericho right now that it's almost like my, my wrestling logic tells me that, you know, we're just planning for a swerve here, but I think it's being built and teased to like a healthy, appropriate level right now. Yeah. I think it's a great angle to go with the, uh, the ROCHO. R Ocho mm, age. Don't know about there, that. There's something there. There, that's a building block. But my my hope is that th- this can only climax with with one matchup, and that is Brian, uh, not Brian Danielson, but Chris Jericho on TBS opposite Loki. Um, uh, I don't know if that's happening. I mean, it's it's sure. Why not? What's Xavier doing? You know, uh, uh, how many? Xavier, how many? Xavier has yeah. passed. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't yeah. even mean, mean that. Apologies. But it will. Uh, uh, there are definitely to the other point, though. I mean, when you look at the amount of people that they have access to, um, there's tons. Like you could do this for quite a long period of time. And like being serious, I think like the end of like it being Joe. Um, like that's mm-hmm. a great thing to build to. You've kind of planted the seeds for that with, with Jericho. Do you, and can you name name all of them right now that are, that are currently on the roster? Daniels. Let's take a look here. Danielson, so, Daniels. I mean, Claudio. I so, well, let, let's Claudio, go backwards so. here. So, like, you have uh, Gresham, who I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you can I don't certainly. Think he's back. Well, it's he's like coming, he's, he's someone that's back out to, there. He's not coming back to lose to Jericho, in my opinion. You did Bandito. Roosh is yeah. there. PCO, you could get. Uh-huh. Uh, Roosh, Matt Taven, Jay Lethal, Dalton Castle. Uh, Cody would, would not be Matt Taven available. coming back. Yeah, I could see that. I, I, uh, Cody, Daniels, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Cole, Lethal, Jay Briscoe, Michael Elgin, Jay Briscoe again, Kevin Steen, no, David Davy Richards, Eddie Edwards. Like there's tons here. Like you, you mm-hmm. can, you could certainly do this. Like there, it's only a handful that you would not have access to because they're in you WWE or uh, have retired. And to make this point, you know, you, you only need a handful, like, you know, to, for the duration of this story, you might like, I think even four or five is, is enough more than enough. So, yeah. Yeah. Could we get Jericho and Jerry Lynn? Um, I think they could do a segment, but you know, maybe not a match. 
I don't I don't know if Jerry Lynn's going to do an, another match. But nonetheless, it, it's an interesting story that they've introduced here. Um, they gave a mention to everyone affected by Hurricane Ian, and we get into the match with Danielson and Menard. Um, Parker pulls Menard to the floor to get him away. Big booze here. And then uh, pulls Menard again to avoid the flying knee. And Danielson is run into the – he's crotched into the post. And Parker lays him out with a DDT on the floor, powerbomb by Menard for a two-count. God bless. I don't think this crowd was buying Menard winning this. Uh, but Claudio runs down to destroy Parker and European uppercuts this guy out of his shoes and carries him to the back. Busaiku knee, LaBelle lock in 840. And Tony Schiavone sneaks in a line that Brian Danielson is a real man's man. Oh, that he is. Of course he is. Yes. Uh, yeah, good fresh TV matchup. You know, continues the feud. I think it was exactly uh, everything it needed to be. I loved seeing Claudio come out here and picking up Angelo like like a little kid, you know, from the from the playground. Like I I actually really like you know Claudio in these sort of short bursts, very explosive physical spots. You know, um, I I kind of prefer him as like the muscle and enforcer of a group right now. And in fact, I feel like now he's going to actually get the chance to really develop and maybe eventually start to get over as a principal player rather than just being put into the spotlight as a champion, expected to talk and carry a championship every week. I think he kind of needs that time to simmer a little bit. We had the first of several video packages on the show. One thing I thought about tonight's show, mm-hmm. number one, it was maybe the least amount of wrestling we've had on a, on a two-hour dynamite. Um, a lot more video packages, a lot more talking segments. I really did not mind the, um, the, the, the mix that they had. Like This felt like a much... This was not the frenetic pace I'm used to of of Dynamite. I still found it pretty fast, John, especially yeah, trying to like keep up with all the notes throughout this entire thing. But nonetheless, I did also note the, that uh, you know the I felt like there were a bit more like video packages um, than usual, and to me, it at least helped my anticipation for some of the matches that they were building to. And and for I, I mean, we saw some online maybe criticism of why suddenly Bandito was getting this this TV match when you have a roster that hasn't been you know really focused on. Uh, why is Juice Robinson all of a sudden coming in and getting this sort of match when you don't have enough airtime? And Tony Khan, I believe in an Instagram post, responded to one of some of those criticisms, telling you exactly the storyline reasons why he he wanted to make these matches. It's because Juice. Uh, has beaten Mox. It's because Bandito was the last ROH champion and never got his rematch. Uh, And they took the TV time with these video packages to explain that reasoning. Well, it's a difficult balancing act. Like you can, like we just explained how the Jericho story, like there's, there's a cool story there, but how many of these matches are you going to do of pulling people onto your show when you, when you have a locker room full of people that are just chomping at the bit for television time? Like you've got to weigh that. Like this might be a great story to tell, but you, you've, you've also got this army of talent in your, your locker room. So, um, you, you can understand that, that frustration if, if you're a talent, but you know, it's also like, you have to weigh that if it's a, if it's a great story, then you, you go that direction. But I like the video packages here. And even if, you know, that's, you know, a, a risk of viewership dropping during some of these video packages, I think it makes for a more complete show when you can flesh out these stories a bit more. And for people that maybe are not as familiar with with Bandito. To me, it's all about storytelling and it's all about building anticipation, you know, like a a movie with only action scenes with no lead up to get to those action scenes is not a satisfying movie. If I don't know the reason why two people are fighting for it, I'm, you know, it's, it's great action. Sure. But like, I'm, I'm going to forget about it and I'm certainly not going to have as much anticipation for it. 
Uh, then we had a recap of MJF and Yuta from last week. And Yuta storms out to the ring here in his hometown. And he cuts a, I thought, a great promo here. He's got a problem mm-hmm. with MJF, who had the audacity to put his hands on the great Tony Schiavone, who has done more for AEW than MJF ever has. And you hide behind this microphone because once the bell rings, you know you can't hang with me. So let's skip the part where you make fun of our sports team, you make fun of my personality, and get to the part where we fight. Um, th- this guy was great here. He was really good. Yeah, I thought so too. You know, last week, I think we all had like a pretty interesting reaction to the Udo MJF segment where I think the entire audience recognized that this was really Wheeler Yuta like being thrown into the deep end, you know, in front of MJF in front of his hometown. And it was, I mean, it was definitely a mismatch on the microphone, but I feel like at least between you and I, the consensus was that Yuta was, didn't drown. Okay, he survived. And rather than back away from putting him in that situation again, Tony, like, seemed to, he's is, is, is seeming like he's doubling down. It seems like this, this program, I mean, yes, it's a way to carry, you know, MJF towards the, the John Moxley match, but it's also being done for Wheeler Yuta for his development. And they, he put him into the shark tank again with MJF. This time, I think, you know, with the cushioning of, of Yuta being a part of his hometown, but already like two weeks in, I think I saw like drastic improvement on Wheeler Yuta on his part from his performance. MJF walks out in a Mets jersey and calls Philadelphia the place you live if you can't afford to live in New York and calls Shivani a fat old prick and a low down coward. He acknowledges Yuta is not a coward. They grew up in the sport together on the indies and says that Yuta is one of the best in the world. But you made a mistake going on the mic with daddy last week and daddy had to put you in your place and said that you have as much charisma as present day Joe Frazier, who he notes is dead and then insults the Phillies, which Yuta like calls him. He's like, I knew you would do this. It was as if he hadn't heard the the preamble here. So MJF says, I don't give up. And wacky edits that we had like these weird audio adjustments for when someone like, would it, swear. It, they put like, you know, a slice of canned crowd noise over top. Yeah, it was. Um, I think you could just get away with censoring it. But nonetheless, um, he's bleeps. a multi. What happened yeah. to a good old fashioned bleep? I think the bleep is more effective than actually saying yeah. the word. But he's a multimillionaire at the age of 26, and Yuta threatens him uh, to leave him in a pool of his own blood on Broad Street, stating stating that bad things happen in Philadelphia. And the crowd cheered at the slide, like, yes, we do terrible things in this city. And the gun club come out to back up MJF, and MJF turns down the option for a match tonight, stating he'll face him next week in Washington, and he might just cash in his chip on the Blackpool Cuckold Club tonight when Moxley faces Juice, and then he leaves for the guns to do his catchphrase for him. Like, these two just hanger-ons. But we did establish here, this is like your Money in the Bank briefcase now. We know how the chip works. Mm. Right. Yes, you're right. Yeah. He can call, he can chip he can cash it in on the spot. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Um It was a it, good it, segment. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's exactly the type of development and pressure that a wheeler unit Yuta needs right now. And he's clearly like the type of performer that can step up to the challenge. And yeah, he's still going to be way outclassed. Like last week might have been a ten eight MJF round. This week might have been a ten nine, but I mean a ten nine against MJF is is already like I think good enough to you know 
beat a lot of people on, let's say, I don't know, AEW Dark or something, or people maybe at a comparable level. Like, I thought MJF also treated him really well just simply by, you know, being, putting him over. Like, that was the thing. Over. Like, like last week was such a killer was like part of his material was like running down his personality that yeah in comparison like you're siding with with the heel here that it's it's you're calling something out that the audience can see for themselves and this one it was like it was less about that and he put him over as like a great wrestler and he cowered when Yuta tried to step forward and had to and and had to hide behind the gun club and and simply the visual of seeing that um i think is in itself regardless of how Yuta's you know microphone performance was it already elevates you to lethal dot and satnam singh uh this was a video package to build up lethal and darby next week and then we saw a shot of darby complete with the staples in his head from last week so man there were there were some some people walking wounded out of that no dq match last week and lethal is going to go on his own for this match so he's leaving dot and singh in the back next week in washington Title Eliminator was next between John Moxley and Juice Robinson, and they bring up that Juice Robinson is one of two men that have beat John Moxley twice since he has come to AEW. The other being Kenny Omega, who was never mentioned. And Juice runs him into the guardrail during his entrance, and they cut to MJF uh, watching in the uh, the private box with the chip, although they kept the cutaways to a uh, reasonable amount in this match, unlike last week, where it was pretty much just right. constant. Uh Big lariat out of the corner by Moxley and Juice escapes the Death Rider on several attempts. During the picture-in-picture, of course, Moxley bleeds. So Juice is headbutting the wound, misses a cannonball, goes through a chair on the floor, and then they run at each other. Moxley lands the cutter, goes to the ankle lock, and then in the corner, Juice thumbs him in the eye. And Taz, I love this guy. This this is great. He's taking his eye out. Uh, Moxley lands a kick to the midsection. Again, the Death Rider is stopped and then kicks out of the pulp friction. Moxley then spins off the shoulders, lands on his feet, regal knee, and goes to a straight arm bar. And we get the instant tap from Juice in 10 minutes and 29 seconds. Entertaining, you know, very physical TV match. Um, some Something about it like made me feel like it wasn't as strong as their other matches. And I'm trying to struggle to think like whether if it's the physicality itself or... Maybe it's more so the lack of heat for this one, like, or at least my lack of interest in it, because um, I don't know, for some reason, like Moxley versus Juice in AEW, maybe at the time, maybe as part of a G1 or maybe like on a significant show feels like it's a bit more built up to rather than just a kind of, you know, sort of a bit of a throwaway TV match that, you know, Moxley is going to win anyway. Um, I feel like they used a lot of the same tricks that you would expect out of their, you know, other matches, like brawling on the outside, some big spots. You even saw blood here. But to me, like at this point, watching like so much of this style of match in AEW, the blood didn't really feel that important. You know, even like the big move he did, like that senton off the apron through the chair, which is would otherwise be, I think, a pretty memorable spot. I kind of forgot about by the end of this show, certainly. Um, so... I mean, again, it, it it was designed to sort of be a special attraction for TV just to kind of get through another week of uh, John Moxley's t- uh, title defenses. And I thought it achieved that fine. But I don't know if it's a match I'll necessarily remember all that well. Yeah, I, I would say this was not at the level of their two matches that they had in 2019. Uh, far from it. Um, you know, I, I thought Juice worked like well enough like it was it was a good television match but i, I don't think this this got to the level uh, of great it was just it was a fine match i think you know you had your audience that 
you know, you could tell like this, this was an audience, like you could tell from the bandito response. Like this was a crowd that knew who these people were. Mm-hmm. They got into some of uh, Juice's stuff, but, um, I, I will say, I think this was the right call to put, put Jericho bandito on last because these oh. would have been your two options. Yeah. Especially after seeing that match. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, juice, I think as well, I mean, beyond the fact that I think New Japan itself has cooled off, I mean, Juice Robinson has really cooled off, you know, maybe since that time uh, initially when he was having uh, in 2019 within that program with Mox. It, it didn't can- come out of the G1 with a lot of steam this year. Like it wasn't as though he had a tournament that everyone was, you know, um, raving about. Like Archer in this spot might have, you know, you have that history with hmm. Moxley that might have connected a bit more um, where you do have that history between the two as well. On commentary, they kept pushing the fact that Juice Robinson is now a free agent. So is that leading to anything you think? Like, first of all, is that true? Like, is, is he not tied down with New Japan? Uh, that, that's, that, that's what he has said. Yeah. Oh, Juice. That's what Juice has said. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I don't. I'm not exactly sure what like if that's supposed to lead to any more like speculation about whether or not he'll be a part of AEW, or or was it simply a way to like make us think that he had a chance of actually winning the championship, maybe? But I don't know. Is Juice Robinson a name that you could see uh, coming in? Uh, I I don't know. To me, to me that it, it's a it's a harder one. But I, I've also seen other names come in that you you would think that uh, would not be priority like he he's a good talent but this is a company just loaded with good talents so i yeah. i don't know if he would cross the threshold for me of somebody that would be a, a necessary person to bring in uh unless, unless you have a real big idea for them and, yeah, and this I, did not build to anything for him to come back at the end either there was no angle shot yeah i wouldn't say juice is like a, i think you know immediate main eventer for instance but i certainly think there's enough like there's more than enough talent that you can use to mold to fit into you know your your frame he's a great promo and would in theory get more promo time here totally hope. yeah and obviously you know his spouse is already you know a champion and maybe there's some sort of on-screen pairing you can use to help elevate you know tony storm as well so um I, it's possible but yeah i just found it weird like the, all this free agency talk when i i don't even know if that's true what if he what if he Found a tag partner. Okay, hit me. What is it? An honorary juice. Jeez. Hangman Page comes out uh, <laughs> for a face-to-face with John Moxley. The crowd is chanting cowboy shit, and uh, he dumps his wallet out, which means it's time to fight in Philadelphia. Uh, I hope he got his wallet back. Uh, but MJF interjects and says that the two of them are not fighting to win the title. They're fighting to lose the title to him, and he might cash in when they meet. And he calls himself a generational talent when Wheeler Yuta appears from behind in the private box and destroys MJF, and then the security are getting involved, and he strikes the security guard members. So we got the same angle as the closing one at NXT on Tuesday where Gallus struck the security guards and got arrested. But Yuta did not get arrested here, but MJF was pissed. But I would imagine they play some up here of you to striking the security guards like that mm-hmm. seems to be something that they um will not go unchecked well the thing is i mean mjf attacked tony shavania we didn't get any sort of punishment for mjf so i mean you know is jericho going to get punished for attacking bobby cruz you know or or security guards that much you know, i will say uh, after the whole paul turner thing last week about tightening things up i mean we i, I guess we didn't get as much I- issue with referees on this show but non-wrestling <laughs> officials i mean there was plenty of violence uh yeah. administered uh just wanted to point out nathan dewey in the chat room also suggesting we would have also accepted orange juice yeah i think that was that one's been done though it's uh but yes sure yeah. 
then a great video for Jericho and Bandito, including the use of the all-in footage. With the, oh, uh, the, I didn't yeah. even notice. Yeah, wow, they used okay. the footage from All In. To, yeah, they own that now. Right, yeah, cool. The, the main event that they had to absolutely race through um, to, mm-hmm. to, to get. And then we had uh, highlights of Serena D beating Tony Storm two weeks ago. And then Soraya's debut last week. And Soraya comes out and says she has chills in the ring. She is damaged, but she is not broken, and she is here to create change in the women's division. She is the revolution. And notes to the crowd that this has been a while. She's nervous, and she seemed it. Um, she says that AEW is officially her house and dismisses the time cues and calls out the women's division. And I was expecting like this procession, and out came Tony Storm, Athena, Willow Nightingale, Madison Rain, and Sky Blue. Um, so we had... Five baby faces come out and Soraya promises change. And then she, we think she's going to go like one by one here. And she calls out Tony Storm, who says she's finally being utilized to her full potential and is AEW's pe- best champion uh, that they have ever seen. And even Tony Storm seemed like, OK, let, let's cool it here. OK, there's been some great I mean- champions. First of all, like they, she's an interim champion, and un, unless intentional, you know, it, I mean, it's a major slight to every single prior champion that's existed, including you know your Hikaru Shidas and your Rihos and your Nyla Roses and your Thunder Thunder Roses, who is still technically the real champion right now. It was like some weird like playing off of Soraya that we saw from Tony Storm here. It was almost like it was like she was like questioning like Soraya's motives here, but maybe that was like me reading too much into it. So then the heels come out. We've got Britt Baker, who confirms she has a broken nose and it was taped up. Uh, Rebel, Jamie Hayter, and Penelope Ford. And Baker calls Soraya the new shiny toy. And we've seen them all come and go. And she's just a catchphrase before she did her own catchphrase. But she's the face of the division. And I put my neck on the line for AEW. But unlike Soraya, mine is strong enough to handle it. And says, half the people don't even know how to pronounce your name. And Soraya comes back saying, wait a minute, you're Britt Baker. Your name rhymes with shit. But unfortunately, this is not the shit era anymore of AEW. So th- this line probably just uh, left was left for the imagination of the uh, the televised audience at home. And Baker, uh, the crowd starts chanting for Jamie Hayter. And Baker says she will be a champion and tells Tony Storm if she has one misstep, then she's going to lose that title. And Soraya says how her boss... Uh, finally listens to her and she has the power to make this a lumberjack match. And then Soraya leaves ringside to join commentary for Tony storm and Serena D but a lengthy segment here, um, putting the, uh, the women's division out here, not all of the women, but I guess your, your prominent members that they're focusing upon. I suppose so. The ones that kind of make the cut for uh dynamite and, and rampage, I guess. And, and probably some that were not able to be there on, True. on Wednesday as well. You could guess. Okay. I have a lot of thoughts about this okay. particular segment. Go for it. Um, there was a lot of anticipation, I think, for, for Soraya. Uh, Soraya's, um, you know, first time speaking uh, about her, her new role in AEW. I think at the very least, we were looking for some clarity about like, what exactly she is here to do. With, I think, most of us expecting her announcing or confirming an in-ring return. We did not get that here. In fact, like her actions um, felt that that of a on-screen GM for um, you know uh, the women's division, somebody to kind of like be uh, some sort of babyface voice for um, 
I don't know, the state of the AEW women's women's division. Um, so number one, I think that needed some clarity unless they were specifically dragging that out to, to make us, I don't know, anticipate it, or maybe they don't know yet. I don't know, but you're just kind of left with the feeling of disappointment and at worst confusion coming out of it. Suddenly she has the ability to make a lumberjack match with everybody. I, I, I don't really get that because we've never had that in AEW itself. You know, somebody making a match for somebody else like that they're not even really affiliated with they're not it's not like they're part of a faction yeah we had danielson you know being able to book a match between himself and and daddy magic off the top but that's him like why is soraya suddenly able to make a a lumberjack match for somebody else it calls like again it kind of reminds me or it suggests that she's some sort of like gm and at that point you're suddenly asking is AEW? like going with a WWE tropey GM role for, for Soraya, which would be awfully disappointing, but more importantly, it was awfully explained here. Um, I felt it was a good to have like a visual roll call, you know, for like the division. Um, Hey, like these are all the characters we have now. Uh, these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. But I also don't, didn't really like the way that they did it here that almost kind of blanketed everybody as like, a, you know, you're either on this side or on that side without any real character motivation as to suggest why Willow Nightingale and Tony Storm are suddenly friends. Why is Penelope Ford with Britt Baker? Was Has that ever been established? It, it like it kind of reduces everybody to just like very basic black and white roles rather than, you know, people with depth and characters with depth. Um it certainly put a dampening on, I think, my anticipation for like what Soraya was here to do. She came in and she was kind of awkward on the microphone, and that certainly continued on commentary throughout the match. Yeah, I, I would say, I, I wouldn't say that like the promo was like she, she sounded fine to me during the promo, but you could tell like it was like she said as much. Like I think she was really thrown by like the reaction from people, and it's not done like a promo in a ring for a long, long time. Commentary, she was just to me just didn't know how to weave in with three other people and she was almost i mean taz would make a point and he she would just echo his point like verbatim yeah uh so i you know to that and maybe we'll talk about that a a bit later after we talk about the bench but like about like just even her maybe being sort of like thrown off by the by the crowds um i don't know uh, reception to her i guess i can understand it but i feel like it's it's more pronounced in an AEW style of television where we know that they're more so given kind of like, you know, loose points and, and bullet points rather than in the WWE where I thought Paige did a fantastic job as a GM or, I mean, they, you know, if they're structuring word for word, everything that they're saying, you're going to, you know, not get some of these like weird um, presentation issues that I feel like AEW has sometimes suffered from, from people who, you know, like don't come up with a more organized sort of like thought, uh, like, you know, script for, for what they're going to say they're needed. There's a lot of like community communication issues. I felt like just with this promo itself. Yeah. In terms of direction for her, I don't think it's the worst idea that if, if she is able to do a match and is cleared that 
you know, you don't have to disclose that week one. Like that can be the culmination of something big down the road where she's in this kind of figurehead role. And then at, at some point you, you lead to the match and it's revealed that she can wrestle. So I, I don't think you necessarily had to disclose that now. Um, but I can also understand like the pushback. Then, like, then, then why not? Then why, like, then why not play to that? You know, why not introduce that as a story element? You You're know, right. Have, I, I, I think we should have had a clear like if they are putting her in this authority role, then and obviously I think they very much want to shy away from the term general manager. But you can only mask it so many ways. If that's what they're doing, that's what they're doing. And you're right. They could have made that a bit more clear. Like, it is this <laughs> You know, like this you, could, you could have had Baker taunt her. Hey, like you're, you're, you know, I know you're coming here. You're trash talking all of us, but we also know that you're not cleared. You're only here to, you know, such and such. So you can't put your hands on me, blah, blah, blah. blah. And then you use that to build to whatever reveal down the road. But I, I like, we don't even know if, if she's even a figurehead, you know, we're just kind of left wondering because I just felt like I, I you know, it, it just kind of, anyway, let's talk about the match itself. Well, Taz on commentary says he wants to be PC, so he's going to call this a lumberjill match. And Soraya says we're inclusive here; it's lumberjack. And Taz just backs off. He's like, "Okay, okay." Uh, Deeb. So what is, does that mean? What? Like calling it lumberjack is is more inclusive? I I guess to Soraya it is. Yes, that's that's fine. Whatever. I mean, they did call it an Iron Man match. Uh, in in NXT as well, so they're going okay. with with that term. Uh, Athena rolls Deeb into the ring. There's a big release German, and then Deeb sits down on Storm's neck, pulling at her arms, and then uh, applies a crucifix. Hater pulls Storm to the floor, and Willow Nightingale chases her to the back. Uh, Serenity Lock gets applied, and Storm fights to the rope, and then she's caught in a half crab, escapes that, and lands the hip attack, hits the Storm Zero, and there's a big near fall. Dragon screw in the corner, but then Storm is on the turnbuckle with a Storm Zero off the second turnbuckle, and this keeps deep down in 11 minutes and 8 seconds. Uh, as, as I said before, I just thought Paige got lost on commentary with the other three. Yeah, admittedly, most of my attention was on Soraya. Soraya, I'm sorry. Um, rather than like maybe the match itself, like really, it was on the disappointment I think of the of the segment prior. Um, as I was getting my my thoughts down, rather than the match itself, like I thought, like the most egregious thing about this segment was the announcers putting over how brilliant her decision to create a lumberjack was for the women as if a lumberjack match for the women was some sort of revolutionary idea <laughs> part of this like weird narrative that she's supposed to come in and uh, to usher in this, this, this she said it was revolution. the first time they've had a lumberjack match with the women in AEW, but yeah. she was also trying to make the point that with, with the numbers evened out, like Britt Baker can't, um, can't get involved and, uh, you know, doesn't have the numbers advantage that she usually has. So, so, so what is it like fair matchmaking is, is what she's here to usher in. That's the revolution. Yes. Cause like, you know, there's subtext here that like, yeah, the AEW women's revolution has always been a point of criticism from the fan base. And she is somehow supposed to come in here to usher change to, I don't know, bring it to the forefront. I don't know if creating a lumberjack match was any sort of thing that the audience was demanding that, you know, this division suddenly needed. And to somehow like push, like you had Taz say, what a wonderful matchmaking idea. Lumberjack match. Great job, Paige. This is a revolutionary. Like that is silly to me. Um, and overall, I just thought it was a bad performance from Soraya on commentary. Like she called this match like, like a Twitch stream. 
you know, like it didn't really sound like she was a character with any sort of like determination to actually like have some real story reason to like address problems and make this better. It sounded more like, Hey guys, like let's have some fun here. Wow. That was a cool move. Wasn't it? You know, lumberjack pants. When was the last time that happened? Like there was really nothing of substance. And I, I even questioned how much she's been following AEW TV up until this point, because I never, I didn't really get that sense watching this. The Twitch stream. <laughs> yeah. It's a good comparison. Uh, so th- this was not a home run for Soraya week one. It really killed my point. like, yeah, it really killed my sort of like hype, you know, from last week. Shivani is with the acclaimed and Billy Gunn. Next Wednesday is National Scissoring Day. And they have an open contract to defend the tag titles on Rampage. Keith Lee walks in and says Swerve is not here because he's disgruntled. And that and he alerts the acclaim that Billy Gunn got physically involved last week and cost them the tag titles. You guys got carried. And Billy just says, we've got two words for you. Scissor me. And laughs uproariously. So a rematch seems to be on the menu for the near future. Yeah. I like that Lee like wasn't really kind of playing into any sort of like real heelish deme- demeanor here. He was coming out here and rightfully calling out the injustice of Billy, Un- Billy Gunn like cheating. And, and it kind of works, you know, for his sort of tweener role that he's that he's in right now. I personally, even though like this was fine, like it served to set up the match or down the road. I would have loved to see them play Bowen's post-match clip that circulated online. I don't know if you got a chance to see it. Yeah, John. yeah, yeah. It was just him really like speaking from the heart after winning this championship in the back about how. You know, he he never thought he would be in this position. He grew up with a lot of confusion and. It, it, it like to me almost like felt like you know the closest thing we've had in a long time to a Ric Flair after the Royal Rumble type of emotion in in a in a post you know championship win and I, I yeah it doesn't build to the 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 story but I thought it was real emotion caught on film that deserved a spot on on air. Andrade had some real emotion getting in between Private Party and the Butcher and the Blade, and he tells Mark Quinn that you work for me. And Jose, the translator, tells Private Party to either ship up or ship out. And as they leave, Matt Hardy walks in and he tells Private Party that last week in that battle royal, it just felt right. And they are connected with Andrade. Um, and it's way worse for your career than big man, big money Matt was. And then Matt Hardy says, get out of your deal. Get out of your contract and I'll be here waiting when the storm ends and I promise we'll do it right. So, I mean, just flagrant tampering here on camera by Matt Hardy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, More lawsuits, right? Yeah. I didn't even know private party were still part of this whole thing. I cannot give any less shit about anything to do with the Hardy family office, the Andrade family office, and by extension, private party at this point. Like, what about all the this... office? <laughs> well, the office, yeah, sure, that's legendary. You know, um, British or American? American. Yeah, yeah, I, I can talk about the office all day. I'll, I'll give plenty of shits for the office, but like, I've been so done with all this stuff. I thought they were over. I thought it was like, what is it, uh, Los Angeles Bernabeles now? Like, is Andrade family office even a thing anymore? Obviously it is. So now they're trying to retell some sort of, like, you know, um, contract storyline with, like... Get out of your contract and come back to me. I don't... Like, I'm done. Who cares? I don't know. Maybe I read too much into this, but it was like the, the topic was like, you left me, but you've left for a worse place, so get out of your contract and come back here. 
Like that's I kind mean, of what the story I'm, is. I'm sure there's some double entendre there. Yes. Ricky Starks uh, destroyed Eli Isom. Um, he went for the spear, and it was like semi-blocked, so he just hit a second one and then hit Rochambeau, 51 seconds, uh, noting Eli Isom's uh, ROH pass. But this was just super quick, uh, fast victory for Ricky Starks, but got a good pop. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, this is one of those instances where I, I, I kind of feel like the win over Wardlow, or sorry, uh, against Hobbs, that it was supposed to be such a big culminating like end of program type of match last week in the lights out thing. I, I, it felt like it was kind of glossed over or not even really mentioned on this show. Like it might have been a, a, a place where like a recap of the match plus a promo from Starks might have served better than just this squash. Rampage on Friday has Roosh against John Silver, the acclaimed Private Party and Butcher and the Blade for the tag titles, Willow Nightingale versus Jamie Hayter, Hook will appear, and Lee Moriarty versus Fuego del Sol. So you, you do have a title match. Um, it's not the most stellar lineup. We also don't know what their, what kind of, um, uh, talent there, they were short this week or mm-hmm. what their options were. I think you, you do have to take that into consideration of who was around this week versus original plans they might have had. Dynamite next week. It's the three year anniversary show. So they've announced MJF and Yuta. Luchasaurus will be in action with Christian in his corner. Darby Allen against Jay Lethal. National Scissoring Day and Jericho and Guevara against Danielson and Garcia. So this was the match they teased in the first segment and the, uh, Philadelphia will get to watch this on TV next week. Cool. Jungle Boy reflected on his attack by uh, Christian and Luchasaurus last week, and that takes us to Chris Jericho against Bandito for the ROH Championship with Ian Riccoboni and Bobby Cruz, who would be front and center at the end of this. Jericho makes fun of the handshake at the beginning, ending with the middle finger, and then Bandito. What a performance this guy had. Uh, Tope and Fosbury flop right out of the gate, and then he lifts up Jericho for the delayed vertical suplex and gets the crowd to count. And I'm just thinking, like... Dude, he's going to make it to 20 would be awesome if he makes it to 20. Dude, he just keeps him hoisted up there, and he's keeping him up there. And just when the audience thinks he's going to have to let him down, he keeps going. And then this crowd just gets on their feet. And this audience, if they were not familiar enough with Bandito, this won them over. And they love this guy. And this seemed like a crowd that they totally were up to speed on who this guy was. And it, it really did add so much to the match because I thought Bandito just had an unbelievable performance. But it was aided by a crowd that got into all of his big stuff. Agreed. Yeah. Even if you're only like maybe more so familiar with Bandito in name, I think simply like having him be in the main event, it's against Chris Jericho, somebody of, of you know, the highest uh, star power. And then seeing the performance itself is like more than enough. It, it was the same effect that all in it, like, here's a guy that like, like that, that in Bandito that like, I, I wonder how many people prior to all in had even really heard of, but the confidence that they had in getting him to, to, to take that spot in the main event, um, I think, you know, once you see it, see him in action, it's it's well-deserved. Bandito uh, follows with a frog splash, gets a big Eddie chant, then comes off the turnbuckle into a code breaker. They fight onto the edge, and Bandito lands a Rana, sending Jericho to the floor. Um, we come back. There's blood on the mask of Bandito. Uh, Jericho hits the lion salt. Um, then Bandito goes for the X knee, and it's countered into the walls of Jericho. Bandito escapes, and they go onto the turnbuckle. 
and you can see Bandino lifting him up. And I just thought there was absolutely no way that they were going to try this. He hits the fallaway moonsault on Chris Jericho and landed it pretty goddamn flawlessly. I could not believe that he did this with Chris Jericho. Well, I mean, it, it, it's really a move more so on, on Bandito, isn't it? And, and we, we know the man has freakish strength when it comes to the spot. To rotate over with, with this individual, he then lands the yeah. X-knee, and then the real sign here, he signaled for the 21-plex, and this place went nuts. They knew what he was signaling mm-hmm. for. Hits it, huge near fall. Like, this crowd believed on several of these near falls that Bandito was going to win this match. And then Jericho sw- flips the mask, so it blinds Bandito. He gets the lion tamer, and Bandito is forced to tap as he's blinded. Awesome, awesome match. And to me, like, you want to talk about just a, uh, a cur- I don't want to say like this was like star making or career making. Like, Bandito's had like a pretty strong career, but to come on to national television and mm-hmm. have a match like this, With I don't Jericho. think, I don't think you could ask for, for much better. Like, he came mm-hmm. here and to me, he won a job. I just, I don't imagine how you could not bring this guy back. I love this main yeah. event. Uh, on a roast, uh, on a roster that has you know arguably been as bloated and I don't know um, lacking in TV time as like AEW might might um, it, it it takes a hell of a performance to even like get people to you know um, like the the bar is set pretty high right now for for AEW and and you know perhaps winning um, the idea of like a spot on the roster but coming out of this match I completely think most people would completely like be happy if bandito got a spot um because he's that spectacular of a type of performer he's the type of performer that like you know you just have to watch one of his matches in a high high profile setting and he'll win you over um it's a hell of a way to you know set this chris jericho uh roh title defense run off i mean it's a great continuation of the incredible year in ring that chris jericho has had um you we will look back at this year and like maybe he's already achieved it. It could be be his best in ring year like thus far. Like it's it's really been absolutely incredible him having this sort of caliber of match with like you know people half his age seemingly sometimes. Um, it was great. Yeah, just a outstanding match on the show. And then Jericho says the Ring of Jericho era has begun. He is changing what ROH is and will destroy its legend and beat every great champion that's ever held the Ring of Jericho title. And it's going to continue on October the 12th when he takes on Brian Danielson in Toronto and with that attacks Bobby Cruz and hits him with the Judas effect to end the the show. God, what a main event for Toronto. Is Bobby Cruz? Uh, is it was this his write off? Is he not going to make it to Toronto? Like, will Jericho get his own his own uh, ring announcer? Okay, interesting. Yeah, I mean Cruz should sell it at least, but I mean Toronto's two weeks away. I mean that might be enough for recovery time. We saw, you know, we saw. Um, um, no, Carey took the bump and he didn't come back. True, you're right. They were well, in his hometown. He was in Phil. They were in Philadelphia. <laughs> you're right. So I guess Carey walked it off and then had you know the delayed repercussions of of the uh, attack of um, the He's next. He's going to write off all these ROH stalwarts. Ian Riccoboni yeah. better look out. I know who else. Caprice. I mean, Caprice can handle himself, I'm sure. Um, Paul Turner, does Paul Turner still count? 
Um, I guess, I guess anyone with ROH, uh, with an ROH lineage, he's, he's going after. So, okay. I love the idea. Again, like the best part about it all is that it puts a real spotlight on, on the brand of ROH, which, um, they, they did more for ROH tonight than um, at any point, you know, throughout this entire run. So there you have it. Uh, a match for, so, so we have like next week is the anniversary show. And then the week after that, it's Jericho and Danielson. And the week after that is the Tuesday show with Moxley and Hangman Page. So they've kind of like laid out your big matches for the next three weeks. Although nothing, we'll see if they shoot any angles for Rampage, but nothing for Battle of the Belt so far, which is next Friday. So isn't that the norm? I guess <laughs> for Battle of the Belt, it's like it's the third show on like behind Rampage right now. Maybe just do like the uh, tune in and find out what titles are defended. It's going to be a mystery, mystery vortex. Yeah, sure, why not? You know, that might be like if they actually made a name for like, hey, like yeah, a mystery vortex type of show. You don't know who's going to show up. That might actually be a bit more appealing. So I don't think anyone is going to argue that this was like the the best dynamite in terms of in-ring action, although the main event was, to me, outstanding. But mm-hmm. I I did enjoy like the pacing of this show. To me, it felt like more balanced. I did not mind having in that first hour like two talking segments with MJF and Yuta and the opener with the uh, Jericho Appreciation Society and Danielson. I don't think it's a bad thing to deviate from your formula. It doesn't have to be um, chock full of bell-to-bell wrestling. You can do other stuff as well. And there seemed to be a concerted effort with more video packages on the show too. So I, it, I think it's it, it might not get the response of some other dynamites, but I didn't mind the, the change. Well, maybe it's just cause I'm taking notes at the same time, but I felt like I felt this was just as fast, you know, because I got a lot from the talking segment, you know, not just like the, 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 the in-ring action. Like there's a lot to take from the talking segments that we have to keep up with as well. But, I, I got to go to the bathroom during dynamite tonight. I went upstairs wow. at one point. That was two Upstairs? times I got to look. Yeah, dude. Me? So that's, wow. I don't get to do that during Dynamite, okay? I'm God usually damn. glued on my chair. I can't move for two hours. <laughs> yeah. So it was I, wonderful. I, I certainly feel like, you know, like I think Dynamite, so much of its uh, identity, AEW itself, its identity is based off of the anti WWE. What are the things that people typically complain about WWE and how do we do it? the opposite way and oftentimes yeah we complain about wwe having way too many video packages too many talking segments um not enough in-ring action but i think aew over the course of its you know existence has has kind of veered too much in in the other direction so i i, I want to see both shows right now start to pull it back a bit you know uh, wwe del- delivering a bit more in-ring content maybe moving a bit faster aew maybe slowing things down you know a, a little bit more talking a little bit more video packages you know it's there there's there's no need to 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 go to either extreme okay well there is our thoughts on dynamite now we send it over to you uh if we have super chats we will also be going to the forum yeah of course you can always leave a super chat here and the youtube i I also want to actually make mention because i never did before but all of our youtube members if you guys have anything to say uh well i could i can at least see that you are a youtube member so if you want to comment anything right now uh during our feedback sections i will always highlight them uh if you have any thoughts about tonight's show but first we go to Kishan Amirali, our executive producer for this week's Rewind Away. He says, Britt talking about the title and no reaction from Jamie tells me the program is on the back burner, which sucks. Glad they included the Jungle Boy promo from The Road 2. Great main event and nice debut for Bandito. Uh, I'm really glad, Kishan, you brought up Jamie Hader because that moment where the crowd was chanting her name 
hijacking the segment essentially when she is not a highlighted portion of this segment at all. And Bray like, had to address it. Tony Khan should be thanking this crowd because they are giving Jamie like this Jamie Hader ru- uh, run a second chance. I can't believe how much they're squandering that goodwill right now. Like this is a baby face that is just dying to burst out of this division. And yet like today she was back to being a, a silent sidekick with really no real role except to run away for, to, from Willow Nightingale. And it's fine. You're, you, you know, you're feuding her with Willow Nightingale. That, I, I suppose that's, that's okay. But well, she, Baker, Baker's also hurt now. So how much did that um, pause things of where you're going there? Okay, but that to me is still no excuse to put Jamie Hader back in in sort of like, you know, a a silent role. I understand they might like they might be building onto some sort of like five on five or four on four type of situation. You kind of need Hader. I still think it's a waste in terms of timing because you have right now the crowd that's ready for her to peak. And you're pulling her back so much that I I worry that, you know. You won't have it again. It's a risk. You want to get the timing right. I mean, I'm sure their idea is to let the, draw this out and it's going to build and build, but you, you, you always risk like missing it. If like the audience just feels like they've been swerved too many times and they kind of lose that, that, that interest. You don't want to miss like the peak to, to execute that turn. Thank you, Kashan, for the $20 super chat and, and your, uh, your, uh, continued, um, uh, membership of the post wrestling Patreon. We got a Rob Bahari. Frequent contributor here on the YouTube side of things. He sends $5. Rob says, imagine not signing Bandito after tonight. All right. In the form of a question, <laughs> can you imagine them not signing Bandito after tonight? No, it'd be insane. It would be, uh, it would be like, uh, WWF watching, uh, when worlds collide and, uh, at the end of it saying, ah, you know what? Um, let's go after Luis Piccoli. Okay. It's an interesting question though, because, Yes, some anybody like not anybody, but like a lot of wrestlers on the indie scene right now can can have a a big match, you know, on a one night featured high profile thing. But six months from now, like where would you realistically realistically see a Bandito if he signs full time to AEW? It's it's impossible to say. I mean, yeah, you you always run that risk. Uh, I think in this company that someone could get like lost in the shuffle. But I mean, look at look at a guy like Takeshita who came in and he just caught fire, and they realized that, and they kind of got on top of him. And you know, he had to go back to Japan. But I think that you know he got as over as as you could ask for. And I think like Bandito, I I see as even. Um, very much on the on that same level of someone new, fresh that a crowd just totally bought into tonight, and is now coming off a super hot segment, uh, a hot match. Um, I I just I, I think he's a tremendous talent, but I thought that before tonight, I didn't need this match to convince me of that. Because AEW is such an in ring based product, like yeah, no doubt he'll always be over. I just feel like there's a higher there should be a higher ceiling for a guy than just you know guaranteed hot match, but you know we won't hear from him otherwise. Like, you know, people like, like a Ray Phoenix and Nepenta. Yes, they're somewhat in like roles, but like, I feel like we never have stories with them. You know, I feel like they're not much more than just like these guys that are out there to like have great matches. And I don't know. I just hope like if a Bandito comes in, like they actually have a story and a character for him, you know. Thank you, Rob, uh, as always, for your thoughts. And lastly, uh, we got a David Davidian Alter who sends $2 just to support. So thank you very much for your support. Uh, all you guys in the post wrestling uh, YouTube right now. We're going to start off on the forum with David from Israel. 
For me, this was one of the worst dynamites in a long time. The crowd was dead from pretty much the opening segment until the main event, and we had a worst segment of the year contender in the Soraya promo. Bringing her in what seems to be a commissioner role is a baffling choice to me if she's not cleared to wrestle, and this segment absolutely died out there. AEW's women's division desperately needs new direction. Please, no more AHFO, HFO, or any combination of this stable on television. Don't make me watch another tiring dissent segment between them. And congrats, Way, on the new baby. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I think just the whole notion of like AEW needing a revolution, um, that itself I feel like is kind of flawed because as much as I think we might like criticize it, it's 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 had a lot of bright spots. And and to say that it's like, you know, been like it was kind of put in as if it was like this was her version of like, you know, changing the divas divas portion to like the women's revolution. Um it was certainly not that, you know? And um it's it's not, it's, but there there is a lot of dissent towards the women's division as a whole. Um, but I understand what, what you're saying. Like, is she been, going to put the women in the main event? Is that what she? That's what she re- really she should have done instead of make a lumberjack match, a revolutionary idea. Hey, it's never been done before, way not in AW. All right, we got a senior Cress who says, "Hello, guys. First time, long time. I love the show for the most part, but the pacing was off. Felt like a tape show." crowd was insane as always i love seeing stars from other companies slash free agency you guys are great keep it up so there you go maybe like maybe video packages you know to some people feel makes it feel like listen it's, it's there well. is going to be like watching a show like that like this wasn't one of the great dynamites i'm not going to argue that at all i mean you you take out the main event like match quality wise th- this was on the lower side i think you would you would argue um as well but i think in terms of the video packages like you you have to argue, like, what are we sacrificing by putting these video packages in? It's to get these other matches, you know, that level of importance and to convey the story at home. And and that has been a criticism from some. Like, you could eliminate those. Like, they're not necessarily um, as advantageous when it comes to, you know, keeping your, your, your viewership up, like, minute by minute. It's, you know, they, they have had this was certainly a departure from that but it's 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 sort of what you're sacrificing for hopefully a match that resonates with the audience at a, a larger a larger uh clip than than just putting it out w- without it we got a super chat here just coming in from Hanzi who says who would you put versus Jericho for the fi- for final battle so if they do it in december i mean to me, it's like it's the point you brought up, Wade. Like Jericho and Joe, to me, it's like I guess like that's your ultimate test of what an ROH pay per view is going to do with like that kind of build up and the biggest ROH title match you can do. But it's like again, if it was AEW final battle, it's doing like so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, now this is on a much more pushed AEW star, and it's going to have television time that is going to be pushed like a major pay per view. But I still think those ROH letters on a pay per view, there's going to be a ceiling to it. Yes, but I, I can also understand that anything to do with Ring of Honor is an investment for Tony Khan in order to try to boost that brand up so that he can eventually sell it. You know, to to highest bidder to air a TV show, for instance. So I think you you take the loss, you know, if it means like being able to have more data to show, you know, a potential client, hey, this is what we did with Ring of Honor. But who would you put? Any ideas? It would have to like, yeah, Joe. Okay, is that? Yeah, I, I mean, you could go to that list. Like, you could do like the ROH champions as long as you'd like. Like, there's you have mm-hmm. access to you know three quarters of them, if not more. So CM um, Punk. Yeah, that that one might not be in the in the. the uh, of the available options, but 
Yeah, like a, a Jericho Joe program to me, it would be that, that to me would be a big one to build up to. Hmm. Thank you, Hansi. Let's go back to forum.postwrestling.com where all of our Patreon members can uh, post feedback to all of our shows every single episode. Uh, we go to Mark. Oh, let me read this one, John. Mark P. Bandito gave a performance of a lifetime, and I hope he gets further opportunities within AEW. Hernice writes, uh, Warner really told AEW to cut back that shit being bleeped out. How do you guys feel about ROH having such a strong presence in an AEW show where there isn't even room for AEW wrestlers? Lastly, can we stop with biting open wounds? And, uh, well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's what we talked about before. They've got a story and this ROH Jericho being ROH champion, um, that was not going to be some periphery story. I mean, he is going to be a major, um, you know, character on AEW television. And I mean, it was set up in the promo, like they're going to continue with this and it is pushing ROH and that's going to mean bringing, back probably former champions that's probably going to be you know happening many times over yeah i i don't like you know i think everybody needs to realize the reason why we're getting so much rh presence on the show is because it's a potential it's another major avenue um uh, a street uh, revenue stream for tony khan um you know and, and that, for content that he could sell and and that's why it's worth it, you know, pushing that stuff in. So so okay. So he's saying about like why is why is Bandito on the show? I think like Tony likes to make special attraction matches, you know, things that like maybe the audience wouldn't expect to see, um, just from typical matchmaking. Looking at the roster, um, I definitely think you could make an argument about like, well, what what are, who who exactly is Bandito a special attraction for? It it's for you know, the hardcore wrestling fan, like to, if you're somebody who's been watching only AEW on TNT, you wouldn't have, have any idea who Bandito is. Um, but I mean, this is also a product that is very much catered towards the hardcore wrestling fan. So. And, and that's an audience I want to serve. Like, I know that audience mm-hmm. is tuning in. So I'm going to give them something like personally, as a consumer of this, I like the idea that people can pop up and there's matches I've never seen before that I have the chance to see. It's like th- there comes a point that you kind of have to look at like Tony Khan is designing this show that is going to hopefully be the most entertaining show that has the largest audience possible. And you're, you're trying to combine that. And then you're trying to keep so many different parties happy at a certain point, you have to commit to a vision and Mm -hmm. that's going to leave people upset. You can't spread goodwill to everybody. You Mm -hmm. have to have what is the priority and cut out the, the noise and worry and, and not worry so much about, hurting feelings like at the end of the day this is your product that you are going into a major year when it comes to having the best product possible to to increase y- y- your rights and you mm-hmm. have to have a, a solid vision of what is the easiest way to that goal yeah i do agree uh let's continue here is it me or you uh you're up with uh, okay cody. we got a cody from maine who says dynamite finding its old school feel has been mentioned a lot in the last few weeks I couldn't agree more with that sentiment after this show. To say there were a lot of moving parts with a lot of things thrown at the wall to see what would stick would be an understatement. Poor Excalibur with that rundown. But as always, there was some very solid wrestling, which brings me to my seemingly weekly praise of the year Chris Jericho is having. Here's hoping this is the last we've seen of Bandito as well. There was even a brawl in the stands. Very reminiscent, although not quite in the same extremes, of Omega Moxley or Jericho and Cody, not the Dippin' Dots. Is there Dippin' Dots? What's the different? Yeah, that was uh, that was one of the early dynamites. That's that oh. spot in the uh, the concourse. Okay. Uh, oh, I got you right. Certainly not an Jim off- Ross line. 
Yeah. Right. Certainly not an all-time great dynamite, but there was plenty of pod- positives to take away. Perhaps that's the law of averages kicking in given how much was on this show. Yeah. It, it's an interesting number for tomorrow. Like you're coming off of like, you know, so, some strong numbers the last week. Grand Slam, I think may, maybe a little below what people were, were uh, expecting, but y- your major, um, matches were built around, you know, Juice Robinson and Bandito that are not going to mm-hmm. necessarily have that, that reach. And, uh, we'll, we'll also see like, Soraya speaking was the other segment that they promoted uh, heavily as well. So, I mean, um, yeah, regardless, it'll be I I would say if if this number is within the range of last week, I would take that as a big positive because this is marquee wise. This was a a come down after such a big show. Not at all. Kate from Montreal tonight definitely felt like the Bandito show because that match was phenomenal. The crowd really seemed to buy into the idea that he could win a couple of times. I saw a lot of hate for the women's segment, and while I agree it came apart, I was also very happy to see someone acknowledge that the division does need changes. Very refreshing after three years of being told, shut up, everything is fine. Yeah, I absolutely don't disagree that like some sort of like, you know, like reset type of segment would have been great. I just didn't think that the direction they went in like helped at all. In fact, like I feel like it took the division back slightly. Number one, like just the idea that like now the division is going to have some sort of GM, which I think just calls back to like things about WWE wrestling that we don't really like. Um, a lumberjack match, I just didn't think was the great scene setter you wanted to, to usher in a, you know, a supposed new era because I now suddenly feel like everybody besides Tony Storm and um, who did she even like Serena Deeb? Like everybody else just kind of felt like, you know, a generic person around the ring. But um, I, I look forward to talking to, to Kate about uh, some of that uh, in, in some of the weeks to come when she appears on a Rewind of Smackdown. We got a Bruce Lord, our other frequent con- contributor, who says, I was double screening Dynamite alongside a pretty historic Jays and Yankees game. But between the great main event and a pretty fun deep store match, there was enough here to make up for a weak crowd, plus some timing and tech issues and hold my attention. Between the Garcia segment, the Udo MJF feud, and Jericho's plans to desecrate the legacy of ROH, a huge por- portion of the show was focused on the pro wrestlers versus sports entertainers dynamic. I'm enjoying that well enough for now, but I wouldn't want it to overstay its welcome and start overriding more organic and individual stories and feuds. Any thoughts as to the apparent confirmation that MJF's chip can be cashed in at will like the money in the bank briefcase it's not a huge deal to me but aew has generally avoided cheap or dirty title wins up until now and as much as mjf is already an all-time heel i do think his first title reign needs to be cemented by credible in-ring performances as well as devious conniving um i I don't know about that like mjf winning in that style i think does does work for the the character that i i think you can like Mm -hmm. Like years down the road, you can do the big babyface run for MJF. Like whenever that th- th- there is a time to do that, and there will be a time to do that. Um, so for for this, um, I-, I would say the argument now is like kind of timing it out right. Of I wouldn't want to take the title off Moxley so quickly, but at mm-hmm. the same time, like you're seeing this show very much built around MJF, and you do want to have this on on your biggest star. But yeah, I mean it's it's sort of become a trope now in in like most like Impact does it and WWE like they've just followed. God, it's a trope that always works. It's like every year when the Money in the Bank comes around, like we might not always like the person that's holding the briefcase, but any sort of cash in tease gets a huge reaction, and I think it's a wonderful plot device. Chris Jericho, like, didn't he create? Did he create the 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 concept of the ladder match or the cash in concept? Like, the, the it was it was him and uh, Brian Gortz that came up with the the fuck. money in the bank. 
I, I mean, it was, I think, one of the br- like brilliant WWE original creations. And I, I, I mean, I'm certainly not mad that AEW is picking it up because I think under MJF, you can build some wonderful drama with every single one of these cash-ins. I think the problem comes when with the way WWE books its money in the bank holders, how they job them week, week after week and we- after week so that, you know, they establish themselves like really mid-tier. And then all of a sudden they just ascend to like, you know, world title. MJF is already at like a world title contention level. And we know in ring he's, he can prove himself. Like we know he's legitimate. So him winning through like a dirty tactic like that, I don't think at all like takes away from his legitimacy and credibility as a potential champion because you know, the follow up I'm sure will, will, will come with him like proving himself. Um, I just, I look forward to like, you know, how AEW will treat the, the, the plot device and, and seeing what creativity they can achieve with it. Yeah, and then the question becomes after Moxley and Hangman of like how you promote full gear. Like, do you just go with Moxley and MJF? Do you do it where MJF is still in the shadows with this chip? Um, like, you yeah. can't, um, like that, that is what you would assume would, would headline full gear, but we will see if they have other options. Last one here is from Chris in Ottawa. This episode of Dynamite was just kind of there. No big surprises. Some feuds continued, but it didn't feel like must-watch TV like most Dynamites. Do either of you know who declares days like National Scissoring Day? It makes me wonder why there isn't a National Post-Wrestling Day or National WH Park Day. I think that's that's most days. That would have been yesterday for the man's birthday. Big five zero for the man. So happy birthday, WH. Neither of those make any less sense. A classic Nate Milton, 6 out of 10. Jays lost tonight as Aaron Judge hit home run number 61, but the Rays lost too, so Toronto maintains their lead in the top wildcard spot. The Mariners look to gain ground on both. They're ahead 3-1 versus Texas in the 7th. Bottom of the 7th in Seattle, two outs. Dylan Moore at the plate with the Mariners. One ball, one strike. Here's the pitch, dot, dot, dot. I love the running commentary that we're getting from Chris in Ottawa. Follow the feedback thread if you want. Uh, Okay. He updated oh, it, John. Damn, he hit it to the warning track. Okay. So I guess Thank that's you. the third out. Thank you, Chris, for to the, the top ongoing... of the eighth we go. Do you yeah, want to stick you. around for the rest of the game? Uh yeah, we could just watch the feedback thread and uh, have Chris continue to update us, sure. Yeah, that will uh boy will we see a, a third hour drop if if that happened here. Three outs, we're going to the eighth, he says. All right. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. You can now turn on to uh, the Seattle game if you are so inclined. But uh, we are done. So we're going to say goodbye to everyone. Thanks to everyone for joining us live, sending in your super chats, your feedback, uh, cafe members, non-cafe members, people that steal our show, people that don't listen to our show. We thank those people as well. You'll find us eventually. That is correct. Again, uh, subscription billing now on the Patreon, so you could sign up at any time. Don't wait for the first of the month if you want to listen to this week's Ask Away. John and I went 90 minutes asking a lot of your questions. Uh, some very great, some incredibly weird, like, um, what is the softest thing you own, John? You can find out. $6 <laughs> a month, U.S. We welcome it all. Access to that show and yeah. 116 editions of Rewind Away. You can sign up and have those at your fingertip immediately. You can just go right into it. And boy, isn't it handy to have a, a post at forum.postwrestling.com going through all of the Rewind Away episodes in chronological order. How handy does it get? Yeah, some people might not even be aware, but free to sign up at forum.postwrestling.com you can go to the rewind away archive 
where uh, John Pollock has painstakingly compiled every single one of our shows uh, for Rewind Away in chronological order. So you can go through the task of listening to all 100. How many, John? How many are we up at? 16? 116. Goodness, wow. Also, shout out the archivist, always updating the stats here, including uh, show ratings, which we sometimes Probably remember, sometimes we forget, and I don't drives think we, nuts. Yeah, I don't think we... Uh, okay, well, anyway, uh, maybe we stopped at some point. We'll, 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 uh, we'll update the archivist, but all, the archivist always putting in great work at forum.postwrestling.com. What do you give this show that we just did? This podcast or Dynamite? The podcast. Fuck. 30 out of 10. 30. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're breaking your calculator. Um, this was a good one. I, th- I thought, I thought the news, we had a good discussion. Uh, the Malachi Black stuff was, it was a interesting discussion about coverage. And then, um, getting you know, a uh, handle on these graphics, you know, like I, I, I'm doing two things at once. So apologies if like I'm, I'm kind of distracted at the times, but I'm getting used to it. It's okay. I, I'm, I'm used to you listening with, with one ear to my rambling. So I appreciate that as always. And all of you, uh, Thursday night, MCU later with Rich Fan and the birthday man himself, WH Park. It's always WH Park Day here at Post Wrestling. Man, they're because- going to be talking about. Have you heard about this, John? The return of no. Hugh Jackman. Oh, I I did hear about this. I I watched the video of uh, the reveal uh, that yeah. Hugh Jackman is was Deadpool three. He's going to be in. Yeah, a, cool. a, a Disney produced Deadpool three. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, I saw. I, I thought it was a cool reveal the way they did it with the the video. So that's yeah. uh, great news that they will be discussing on Thursday night, Friday. Way and I are live eleven Eastern for Rewind to SmackDown, going over one hour of Rampage and two hours of SmackDown. Saturday we'll have the long and winding Royal Road with Mister Park himself, joined by Gareth Hodgson from Grapple to chat. The Malenkos, Joe and Dean, taking on Davy Boy Smith and Tom Billington in All Japan, January of nineteen. 19- 89, and then the week rounds out with WrestleNomics Radio on Sunday. PostWrestling.com is your home, and that concludes Rewind to Dynamite. Good night.